Well, that's actually, you know, what I was saying earlier when I have different business ventures. I spend, you know, half my time playing, you know, basketball for the Warriors. So, <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com welcome to the tennis files podcast bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game and now here's your host mirabon iranshad hey guys this is mirabon from the tennis files podcast and it is my great honor and pleasure to welcome uh, professional tennis player clay thompson to the tennis files podcast Clay is a 24-year-old professional tennis player from Venice Beach, California. He grinds a lot of tournaments on the Challenger Tour, mainly uh, in his quest to you know reach the next level and, and get to uh, the highest ranks of the sport. Um, he reached a career high of uh, 408 uh, this past May. I think many of you have probably seen Clay's YouTube videos. One of them went pretty viral, where he uh, he reached the semis of a Challenger in uh, Champaign, Illinois. I think last year. Uh, winning uh, six matches over there, which is pretty pretty incredible. And um, actually, uh, my friend Othman Garma from episode 17, um, who's the coach of uh, Doubles Pro Tread Huey, is the one who connected me with Clay. So I'm very thankful to Othman for that. Uh, shout out to you, Othman. Clay, I just uh, really uh, appreciate you coming on to the show today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I really enjoy giving back to the game of tennis and it's important what uh people like you do with uh you know bringing kind of the players to the fans and uh kind of keeping the community together well thanks yeah i mean i truly appreciate that i appreciate your passion for the sport and 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 your high energy and and your matches and so just want to start off the interview with you clay by just asking you um what what your first memory of playing tennis uh was um, my dad was a pretty avid tennis player. He picked it up probably when he was like thirties in his mid thirties. Um, and you know, he played a lot of kind of, you know, open tournaments, national thirties, forties, that kind of thing. And so my earliest memory was probably just being a kid and, you know, him having kid duty and bringing me down to the tennis courts with him to kind of watch him play. And I would just kind of play with my action figures in the back while he would, be playing against whoever he was playing against and then you know before long it became okay let me give this a shot uh since i'm here and uh yeah i kind of you know that was kind of the beginning of my tennis career it you know it began on the public courts uh down in santa monica in between santa monica and venice on ocean park and that was kind of the beginning of it all oh, that's fantastic clay definitely a great state to uh to start tennis and, uh, and i'm glad that your dad uh was an avid player that got you into this wonderful game and so you mentioned obviously that you uh picked up tennis uh with your dad's involvement but did you also play any other uh sports and if so how did you decide on pursuing tennis yeah i played a lot of sports in elementary and middle school um baseball basketball uh never played football soccer um you know kind of all the major sports that you know kids are involved in and you know, I played, I was pretty good at all of them. I enjoyed playing all of them. Um, and I remember, you know, when I was kind of deciding, should I play? I think I kind of narrowed it down to basketball and tennis. And, you know, I was talking to my dad and my mom about what I wanted to do. And 
you know, being an only child, you know, being kind of the type of kid that I was in my personality, I did like the kind of independent uh, aspect of tennis being, you know, your own, your own blame if you lose, your own celebration if you win. So I kind of like that part of it. And, uh, you know, since my dad was such a, you know, an avid fan of the game, he kind of pushed me in that direction as well. And, you know, I've been extremely happy with my choice ever since. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense uh, with your dad having that background to, you know, provide you with an instant feedback and great direction. Um, But definitely at 6'6", I believe you would have been probably a great basketball player. And um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned being an only child. I'm also an only child and I played some basketball and tennis. I I think I sucked at basketball, though, but I ended up obviously (laughs) choosing tennis uh, also for the individuality of it all. Um, So, Clay, did you have any uh, tennis idols while you were growing up? I really, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed watching Leighton Hewitt play, uh, you know, again, because of his fire and his competitive uh, nature and, uh, you know, just his style in general. I really liked it. Um, and that was kind of probably my earliest idol uh, that I can remember. But then as, you know, I started to become a player and a fan of the sport more and more, um, you know, Pete Sampras, uh, who I'm actually, you know, decent friends with now, uh, has been probably the biggest role model as far as on the court uh, playing. Um, and then as far as, you know, now I really like to watch old matches. Um, I really like watching the kind of era of John McEnroe, Bjorn Borg, mm. um, you know, Yvonne Lendl, all those guys. Uh, that's probably my favorite to go back and like watch old matches. I think those are probably my favorite guys to watch. Um Vitas Gerolitis was one of my favorites for sure. Hmm. So that whole generation of uh, players was really, you know, influential for me. Um, I really like the, you know, the serve and volley game. I thought that was really fun to watch. Um, and just kind of the overall, you know, personality and flair that tennis had during that kind of quote unquote golden age, I thought was really cool. Uh, you know, that's when, you know, my generation now, which is, you know, the the 20s, you know, millennial generation, that was when, you know, those those kind of demographic of people were really interested in tennis. And that was like, oh, I want to go to the US Open and watch, you know, McEnroe or Gerolitis because I love them. And, you know, they're they're role models for my kids and, you know, or, or they're role models for, you know, me or whatever it is. And it's kind of that feeling of like really getting behind a player and supporting them. You know, Jimmy Connors is run at the U S open and whatever year that was like, that was really inspirational. Um, and I really enjoy kind of that, that kind of passion, uh, and that, you know, kind of flair that those players had. And so I think that, you know, those kind of players and what they bring to the game is, is something that I really value. Yeah, I think that's a great point about, um, you know, all these players who particularly bring a lot of um, passion and energy to the court because that will attract more, um, you know, casual viewers and, and fans to the game. So I think that's fantastic that um, that you actually, you know, do and that. It's, and, an, it's an off-court personality as well as far as like, you know, bringing a, a personality that fans can relate with, you know, not mm-hmm. being this kind of, this kind of, you know, mechanical robotic kind Mm -hmm. of player that doesn't that can't really you know bring you know fan interaction into it because then you know it's it's not like they want to go out and watch that player you know they they want to go out and watch and support someone that they feel that the fans feel that they're close to and the fans feel that they can relate to 
And, you know, when you see some of the players now, it's like they're so unrelatable. It's really cool watching them play. You know, obviously their game is so incredible, but they're so unrelatable that it's tough to be like, oh, I really want to get behind that person as much as I can. Yeah, no, again, excellent point. I mean, that actually reminds me of um, watching Benoit Pair at the City Open, uh, which is like around my hometown, is in D.C. And uh, so before his matches, he was just sitting, you know, on the courts, like watching a couple of random people play and commenting. And um, I mean, it just reflected in, in, you know, his efforts with the fans uh, when he wasn't playing that a lot of people were cheering for him. And, you know, he was uh, very endearing to them as well. Um, also talked to, you know, your teammate Mackie there, but we'll get into that, uh, you know, talk about him later. Um, but yeah, and, uh, Clay, you know, obviously you're, you're a great tennis player and, um, you know, a lot of people have, have seen your play, but what are three things that most of the world doesn't know about Clay Thompson? Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. I'm, I mean, I'm a huge writer now. Uh, I went to school for creative writing wow. and, um, you know, I've majored mainly in poetry there. Um, I did a lot of screenwriting on the side, but, um, now, I mean, that's something that I'm really taking into my professional tennis career as well. And something that I do on the side a lot. Um, you know, I write right now, I'm kind of focusing on the new wave of, uh, of mediums, which is kind of like writing for VR experiences, um, writing certain like video game stuff, uh, either for mobile or, kind of you know new small experiences obviously because i'm not working for the big companies but mm -hmm. i'm trying to kind of uh you know use that i kind of got that passion by playing video games when i was a kid and really being you know super immersed in the world that they create and the experience that they provide and so now with kind of you know virtual reality and augmented reality coming out um i think you know that that's that art of storytelling is really cool uh, and that's one of the things that I value a lot in you know my life is just the story and the whole experience of going through it all. So I think that's maybe something that people wouldn't know about me. Wow. Um, let's see another thing that people don't know about me. Well, I've lived in Venice my entire life, pretty much. I went to UC. I mean, I grew up in LA, um, in you know West Side LA. Went to a private school in Santa Monica for high school and middle school. And then went to UCLA and, you know, moved back to Venice afterwards. And, you know, I'm, I really love the experience that tennis gives me to be able to travel the world um, and see the world. But at the same time, you know, I'm just, I'm just an LA kid, an LA guy. I mean, I, I really love, love it here. And at this time in my life, I couldn't really imagine living anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and then a third thing would be... Um, I'm really involved in kind of, you know, alternative medicines. Uh, my godfather and godparents created a company called Herb Farm, which is like Echinacea, St. John's Wort, um, you know, kind of a, you know, more of a, you know, alternative approach to over-the-counter pharmaceutical medication. Um, and so I'm really involved in, you know, trying, you know, healthy living, you know, uh, lifestyles like that. But also, you know, I'm really, I, I really, you know, enjoy finding you know healthy alternatives to a lot of the you know medicine that's out there today and that's something that i'm very passionate as well 
Well, Clay, um, that's probably the, the best answer that I've ever heard about, uh, you know, for this question. Um, in particular, I'm very fascinated about, um, you know, the creative writing that you mentioned. I think that's really cool that you have a, another outlet like that. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, I mean, do you just, you know, when you're not training, is that what, is that what pretty much what you, what you do? Yeah. Um, I mean, even when I am training, it's what I do. It's, it's very therapeutic actually to, you know, if you are, cause it does, I mean, tennis is really repetitive. It's a grind, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is like that. And, you know, if you're able to, you know, supplement that day in, day out kind of grind with something that can really get your mind away from it all and kind of transport you to a different dimension, which is, you know, that's why I fell in love with it in the first place. What's what I was saying earlier. It's, it's the ability to take yourself, you know, kind of out of the life that you're living and transport it into another realm and that you just completely become immersed in. And that's what video games do so well. And that's why I'm a huge fan of them because, you know, you kind of almost forget your normal life for a little bit while you're playing them or while you're fully, you know, becoming in, into that story. Um, so it, it, you know, it's a great way for me to unwind at night. Um, you know, to take a day off and just kind of get back to a story that I'm writing or something. And it just really kind of, it's therapeutic more than anything. Yeah, that's fantastic, Clay. And, um, I'm wondering, uh, what's your favorite video game? Ooh, maybe um, one you're playing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the final fantasy series. Uh, that's a, you know, big fantasy series and they just actually released the new title, uh, last week that I've actually been playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that final fantasy 10 was probably the first game that I played as a kid that really had that profound effect on me of, you know, a true different world protagonist, antagonist, romance, all that stuff, you know, all bundled in one. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm also a big fan of, you know, League of Legends, which is, mm-hmm. you know, taking over the esports scene and the competitive scene, which, yeah. you know, doesn't really have that storytelling aspect of it, but I think it's really cool with the upcoming scene. And, uh, you know, I went to the world finals while they were in LA, <laughs> saw nice. two Korean teams battle it out for the championship and, you know, at the Staples Center, uh, to see, you know, people playing video games with, you know, hundreds, you know, thousands of adoring fans at the Staples Center was a pretty cool thing to witness. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I've got a lot of friends who love League of Legends and, uh, I actually, <laughs> in college, I like, I played in this like Counter-Strike league, like the lowest league, but, uh, you know, <laughs> briefly, but it was a very fun game. So on occasion, yeah, I played I, a lot of Counter-Strike when I was a kid. It's, it's also a very fun game. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Have you played, uh, CSGO at all? No, I haven't. I played Counter-Strike when I was probably uh, 7th grade, 6th grade. I haven't actually returned to that game in a very long time. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I think um, if you were to put up some sort of blog, I think uh, people would love that. So, I mean, I know you've got a lot of passions going on, but with your... Yeah, I've definitely been thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you uh, need any help with that just let me know um sure sweet um so clay you know that that that, i love talking about all that um that we just you know explained as far as the video games and your creative outlets um but also wanted to ask you about your junior career as well um and so what was the first tournament that you remember playing in as a young kid um the first tournament i remember playing in was a small tournament, I think it's Samo High or something in LA. I was probably like eight or seven maybe at the time. And I think I played the 10 and under division and I played Daniel Moss, uh, mm-hmm. former player at Pepperdine, you know, former number one in the 12s and 14s, actually a pretty good friend of mine. And he beat me like 6-1, 6-0. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember just being like, wow, that's a play, <laughs> like that's a player. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that motivated me to keep playing. <laughs> I didn't quit after that. So, uh, you know, but it's, it's still pretty, you know, me and him joke about that all the time. He was, you know, one of the first players or he was the first player to ever give me a whooping in a competition. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a really critical to see the reaction you had because a lot of people would have just probably quit the game at that point. But, um, you know, you actually found yourself wanting to, you know, improve so that you could, um, you know, beat him or and others someday. So uh, I think that's fantastic. And so, you know, on the flip side of that type of experience, uh, what did it feel like to win your first tournament? I actually can't remember the first tournament <laughs> I won. I, I remember the first loss way better than I remember the first tournament I won. Uh, you'd won um, too many, probably. I remember. <laughs> I remember specifically winning one get one tournament in like Anaheim I think for a designated one of those 10 and unders or something and I remember being in the finals um and it would be split sets so it was in the third set and at that point in the juniors you have a little bit of a break between the third and you know I was talking to my dad in between and he's like man you know it's it's really exciting to be in the finals to be able to you know compete for you know something like this so just go out there and do your best and have fun and either way like i'm still gonna love you and you know <laughs> we're still gonna you know have you know the fight like it's not gonna it's not gonna end your life if you lose this match <laughs> and uh i guess you know that kind of had a, a good effect on me and you know i came out and i remember winning that match um and that's kind of one of the earliest memories that I have of, you know, winning a tournament is probably that one. I'm not sure if it was, you know, my dad's talk in between the second and third or, you know, the match itself or what it was. But, you know, I actually haven't, you know, haven't conjured up that thought in a while or that memory in a while. So thanks for jogging that one. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's about all I can give you, I think, as far as winning my first tournament. No, that's great stuff. And I, you know, that's one of the keys really to success is just to remember at the end of the day of the day to just you know, enjoy the game. I think a lot of us, we get kind of caught up too much in the results of it all. And then that's when we uh, kind of lose our emotions and, you know, get nervous and all that. So um, great to hear. And so, you know, obviously uh, you're a highly ranked uh, player and you were you know, number one in college. So, but I'm curious about your kind of um, the progression of, of your junior career. So for example, you know, how high of a ranking, uh, did you reach and like, you know, how, how did it go for you from the, I guess the tens on onwards to the 18s? Yeah. Um, so obviously the tens, I mean, you just play kind of, you know, local SoCal tournaments. I don't think it doesn't even get national until the 12s or at least it didn't when I was playing, um, in that age division. So, you know, tens, eights, you know, I'm kind of just playing around Southern California, driving down to Orange County a lot on the weekends, that all that fun stuff. Um, and I worked with a, you know, just a coach at those public courts that I was telling you about, you know, nothing serious, just kind of maybe three or four times a week, whatever it was. Um, and then in the twelves, we started to be like, okay, you know, I'm decent enough, uh, to, you know, play at a national level. So, you know, let's pursue a few of those tournaments. Um, and so we started, you know, going to like the, the Tucson, you know, winter nationals, um, florida for the clay courts because we used to have a house in florida so i would go there every summer regardless 
Um, and you know, kind of things like that, but it was, it was more of a natural progression as far as just like, okay, we're not like, oh, you're a natural, you know, you're a national talent, you know, now we're going to go out and play all these tournaments. It was more like, oh, you know, I'm having fun playing this. So, you know, why not go test my skills, you know, in the waters of, you know, national competition. So, you know, I definitely remember the brutal summers in Florida playing, you know, in a hundred degrees in humidity and the clay courts there. And then the super cold winters in Tucson getting up at, you know, six in the morning in 30 degree weather when it was freezing outside and playing. Um, and then, you know, when I got to 14, I think is when I started really playing a national schedule as far as national opens, you know, level mm -hmm. threes, uh, hard courts. I remember was in San Antonio, um, the 14s. I remember playing all those tournaments and being like, okay, you know, I'm starting to get better and better and better. And I'm still, you know, this kind of tall, lanky kid. So we need to be somewhat careful that I don't, you know, kill myself in <laughs> all the physical exertion. Because uh, I didn't have, you know, too coordinated of a body at that point in my life. Um, and I remember definitely going through a few small injuries, nothing huge. But, you know, I remember playing 14s nationals with like a bad scap or bad back or something and i couldn't hit a forehand or a serve so i Jeez. played just with a slice forehand on my slice forehand and then the backhand and we actually me and campbell johnson got to like the quarterfinals of doubles <laughs> which was pretty cool um i remember i lost first round in that tournament though in singles and i was just so distraught um because i actually was pretty highly ranked at that time and then and then at that time, you know, I think I ended my 14 and under career at like three or something in the country, three or four in the country. Okay. And so obviously I'm like, okay, you know, I'm pretty, pretty decent. Um, and then the 16s was the first year that I like really went after, okay, like I want to, you know, try and really do this. Um, and so I remember I started, well, backtrack to my freshman year at high school, I met this coach who was coaching my high school team. And we, I went to Crossroads, which is this private art school in Santa Monica, totally liberal arts. Like they don't care at all about sports, really. It's, you know, all about arts and sciences and theater and that kind of thing. And we kind of put together this team of misfits. That was me, <laughs> Reese Milner, Alex O'Haley and Eric Koenig, who are all like top ranked, you know, SoCal players. Uh -huh. And it kind of just came together like I don't know how. And we won state that year you know, beating Brentwood, which had, you know, a lot of great players and historically like a great team. Um, so we won state that year and it was like this huge kind of celebration. Like, wow, I, you know, we can't believe we did this. And the school was like, wow, we won tennis. Like what? <laughs> like, I don't think even anyone knew how to react to that one. Um, and you know, it ended up being such a great experience that I ended up working with the assistant coach at the time. Uh, who was who just became like more, kind of like a mentor to me. Uh, his name was Scott Bailey, and he was working at the Palisades Tennis Center at the time, which was owned by Steve Bellamy, the uh, founder of the Tennis Channel. And mm -hmm. Steve, you know, saw me and was like, "Oh, you know, this kid's super nice. He's great at tennis." So he kind of just gave me, you know, carte blanche of of the Palisades Tennis Center, and we could use, you know, a basket up there. Uh, you know, all the players, all the clinics, mm -hmm. all the coaches were kind of at my disposal, and so I would. Mm -hmm. You know, I set up a, a, a schedule with my high school that I could get out uh, at get out around 1220 every day. Nice. And Scott would come pick me up at school and, you know, we would go straight to the park and we would drill forehands and backhands and whatever. And then we would play live ball, which I don't know if you're familiar with or any of your listeners are familiar with, but it's a really you know high energy style of tennis. Uh, it's kind of like a fun doubles kind of way of playing tennis with 
about eight players on the court at a time. Wow. Um, and so we would play that and that kind of helped my volleys a lot. And I think attributed to my high energy style of tennis. And, you know, we, me and Scott just kind of took off and started playing all those national tournaments and, you know, through the 16s. And I remember one of the highlights was getting to the finals of the Easter Bowl and losing to Jack Sox 7-6 in the third. Wow. And then coming back an hour later and then winning doubles. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So getting a, a silver and a gold ball on the same day. So that was pretty cool. And I ended my 16s career at number two in the nation right behind Jack Sock. Wow. which was a great accomplishment and I was really happy about that and and then it became the natural progression of okay you know let's start looking at colleges and Scott um wanted me to go to Pepperdine and kind of you know he, our path at the time was like okay we want to try this pro tennis thing and so I had this you know I was like okay I'm going to go to Pepperdine so I verbally committed to Pepperdine and the 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 idea was that I would uh, leave high school or I would graduate high school a semester early and then go to Pepperdine and play a semester and then go pro. Mm-hmm. And so me at the time I was like the 16 year old kid and I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like pro <laughs> tennis. Yeah. It sounds like a great idea. And then I, you know, as I kind of started being like, Oh wait, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I kind of, I'm liking my high school right now. I kind of want to graduate on time with all my friends I kind of want to, you know, maybe go to a different school than Pepperdine. I don't know if I even want to play pro tennis. Like Mm -hmm. it kind of just became like, as I matured, (laughs) as I matured, I was like, wait, this kind of seems like a hasty decision. Um, so I withdrew my verbal commitment and Scott kind of got a little bit upset about that, I think. And he was like, oh, you're not as committed to being a pro as you were before. And I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of the case. And, uh, so he was like, okay, you know, you can find another coach. So I started working with, you know, other people around LA, you know, most notably Michael Joyce, Robert Lansdorp, wow. you know, a bunch of different people that had, you know, a great influence on my career. Um, and just started working with them, you know, all over the place, a couple times a week, whatever. And, you know, all the while just having a good time, you know, really enjoying my high school experience, really enjoying, you know, being a kid growing up in LA, which is a pretty, you know, pretty amazing experience in itself. Um, and you know, I graduated on time and, you know, obviously played all the 18s tournaments, but kind of took a step back where I was like, you know, I'm, I want to win and I want to, you know, play nationally, but at the same time, I don't want to sacrifice, you know, my education, my childhood, all my friends, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I decided, you know, I'm going to look at schools, I'm going to play nationally, you know, just kind of take it all in stride. And I ended my 18s career at number three in the country, number three recruit overall, and, you know, decided to go to UCLA, mainly because I wanted to stay in LA and keep my base of people that I knew around here and that supported my career. And, uh, you know, my, my goal was still to become a professional tennis player, but I wanted to, you know, also get a great education at the same time. I think that's uh, wonderful that you had the foresight to, you know, kind of step back for a second because I obviously a lot of kids they want to become pro, and so I'm I'm sure some of them probably you know rush, and then you're sacrificing you know a lot of your your best years really, and so now you can you have that education behind you, uh, so no matter what you'll obviously be fine in life. Uh, I just want to before I touch on the uh, college experience that you had with at UCLA. Um, wondering about, uh, if you've had any, uh, if you had any technical changes in your game, you know, like, did you ever change a technique on your, your serve, forehand or backhand? And if so, you know, how, how that experience went? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of, like I mentioned, I actually, Michael Joyce was coaching me on and off for pretty much in my entire time when I was with Scott and when I was a kid, even before that, um, I got hooked up with him and, you know, he kind of taught me the importance of, you know, hitting a big forehand, hitting a big backhand, stepping in, you know, kind of flattening it out a little bit. And, uh, you know, those, as far as my ground strokes, they pretty much stayed the same. I had this really wild, you know, long take back on my forehand that I still have. And, uh, you know, that was kind of like, wow, that's really cool. I don't know if it's going to work, but it's very (laughs) natural and, you know, whatever. And, you know, my forehand was definitely my strength. So we didn't really touch that as much. Uh, my serve, you know, I, I used to slide my, or I used to plant my feet, uh, and not slide them. And now I slide them. And mm-hmm. I've kind of gone back and forth a couple of times with that on my career. But as far as, you know, technical stuff, my, my game is really, you know, rooted in, you know, I hate to sound pompous, but it's, you know, it's natural ability more than anything. It's just like, it's, mo- it's you know, my, my way of playing tennis, if you gave me a racket and was just like, here, you know, play the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously I had some coaching, but I didn't really take it as far as technical. You know, I took it as kind of strategical and you know mental but as far as actually hitting a tennis ball it's just uh, you know my advice to anyone is just do it the way that feels natural to you i mean there's so many funky techniques on tour Mm -hmm. and so many you know examples of great players that have you know obscure you know not picture perfect uh strokes so you know i think i always kind of just believed in you know just do it however feels natural and that kind of thing and you know that really worked out for me um, and it kind of, you know, goes hand in hand with my overall, you know, philosophy about tennis, which is kind of why I decided, you know, at, at that age not to, you know, go into homeschooling and just dedicate my whole life to being in an academy, you know, because I just didn't, I just didn't want to do that. And, you know, that's, it's just, it takes away from, you know, who you are uh, a little bit, I think. I mean, obviously, if you want to dedicate yourself like that, and go for it. I mean, if that's who you are, then great. But, you know, I think it's all about, you know, keeping an open mind and just, you know, taking it all in stride, like I've said before. And that's kind of how, you know, I I go about my technical aspects of my game as well. I just I just do it and uh, I try not to think about it too much. I rather spend my my thought processes thinking, you know, how am I going to beat this guy rather than, you know, does my forehand look good or does my backhand, you know, feel sound? Um, I'd rather think about um, you know, maybe his backhand, you know, breaks down a little bit. So how can I exploit that? You know, that those kind of things were more what I focused on in practice than, than, uh, you know, dropping your head or whatever, keeping your head still, making sure your knees are bent, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Clay, I really appreciate you, um, you know, saying that about, uh, technique because there's definitely, uh, you know, sometimes an overemphasis on technique. And if people would just kind of, relax and uh, just try to focus on, you know, getting the job done and the optimal strategy against their opponents, and they would probably be more successful. So as long as you are, you know, biomechanically relatively efficient, uh, you know, there should, you don't have to like change anything drastic. And, you know, if, yeah. if Gulbis could uh, make it up there with it, <laughs> I know he changed, he's changing it now, but it's foreign, but you know, he made it up there with that technique so but even look at like a McEnroe or something i mean his volley is like you know his little flick you know <laughs> continental forehand volley it's like you don't teach that it's like that's something that just comes because he was like oh this feels good for me to hit a volley like that but you know if some coach were to see that they would be like no you can't do that so it's just a matter of like okay this feels good to me and you know that kind of puts your own personal signature on things you know it's like a 
you know it's it's like a it's like, it's like a performer like if, if everyone performed the same exact way there wouldn't be any in, any entertainment value so you know you kind of put your own you kind of make who you are based on your own strokes so you know it's good that they're a little different yeah no i definitely agree with that um so clay you know you you obviously have a great outlook on tennis on the game and in life in my opinion as well um but you know you had a pivotal moment in 2012 uh that i read about in the all-american championships that you know helped change your your perspective on the game uh can you talk uh, a bit about um how that event uh helped your career yeah um that was definitely a, a big point for my career um you know as maybe you can tell by this point i've always been a pretty you know happy-go-lucky guy as far as my life goes but mm -hmm. when i would step on the court you know i i am a very competitive person at the same time so you know while i kind of have this you know free free going you know easy going you know lifestyle uh when i would step on the court i would kind of transform into this kind of you know okay time to win time to beat this guy that i'm playing let's fight 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 mm -hmm. um and, you know, obviously that got me to where I was. Like, I wouldn't have been a top junior in the country. I wouldn't have been able to go to UCLA if I didn't have that. But when I was playing that tournament, I think I noticed, well, you know, the backstory behind that time. It was actually the 2013 All-American Championships. And it was, I was going into my senior year at UCLA and I was saying, okay, you know, I've been great. You know, I've been I'm playing number one at UCLA, whatever, playing number two, like I've had a great career, but I really want to end strong. And, you know, I kind of put a lot of, you know, added stress and pressure on myself to do well. And I lost in the first round to Axel Alvarez from Oklahoma, who is a great player. No, nothing to take away from that. But when I was on the court, I was just like, man, I'm just like, I'm not freeing myself up. Like I'm not hitting, you know, my shots. I'm kind of, you know, really tight about like, not nervous, but like, I really want to win. And I lost that match and I went back to my hotel room and I was just so, you know, upset because I really wanted to do well in that tournament. And, you know, I remember seeing Dennis McCurchin teammate just laying on his bed next to me and he was like, dude, what are you so upset about? And I was like, man, I just lost first round. He's like, dude, who cares? Like, honestly, like who cares? And I was like, I mean, you're kind of right. Like, I mean, now that I'm off the court, like I, I don't really care that much, but like when I, when I was on it, like I really wanted to win. He's like, dude, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like you're a hundred percent right. And at that point I was like, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to play the constellation at all. I was like, I want to go, you know, home. I want to go hang out with my friends. Like, I don't want to be here at all. And Grant Chen, the assistant at UCLA, who, you know, was probably one of the most influential people in my career so far, definitely at UCLA, but you know, in my career as well, uh, was like, Clay, you need to play consolation. Like just go out there, you know, even if you, you know, totally tank, you need to play at least and, you know, just kind of have fun, you know, whatever. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, and like, you know, with, so his kind of words of, you know, just go play and Dennis's words of, you know, who really cares. And I was like, well, if you look at my life, you know, I shouldn't be putting all this pressure on myself because outside the court, I'm this, you know, very easygoing guy. So like, why do I get so like tied up on the court? And so I went out there and I just started like serving volleying, started just hitting my shots, you know, just kind of like with a smile on my face, having fun. And I won the match easily. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I went out the next day and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do the same thing. Like, who really cares? I'm just going to play. And it was hitting big shots, you know, winners everywhere, aces coming in, putting volleys away, just, you know, having a great time. And I was like, oh, that's cool. 
<laughs> and, you know, fast forward to winning the consolation and booking my trip to New York, which had been, you know, one of my goals. Cause even though I was, you know, a pretty good college player, I'd never actually been to the fall tournament in New York. And I had a lot of friends in New York. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was in New York and like to be able to make that tournament, I was like, Oh man, like I'm so pumped to go there and just like be there. Like, I don't care if I lose first round, I just want to go. And, you know, this all kind of coincided with, I met this, uh, this other girl in, at, well, I was at school at UCLA who was, uh, from Hong Kong and, you know, a yoga teacher, meditation expert, you know, kind of thing. And she taught me all about yoga and meditation and being kind of in that present mind in this. And so I was like, okay, well, if I can do all those things and translate them to the court, then, you know, I shouldn't care if I win or lose cause I'm just having fun on the court. And, you know, I went to New York and I was just happy to be there and I won the whole tournament. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I won the whole tournament with a smile on my face. Mostly, most importantly, you know, I was just, I was playing great tennis and if I lost a point, I didn't care if I won a point, I was happy to win it, but it was on to the next one. And it was just a big transformation for me because it kind of translated my, you know, easygoing lifestyle off the court to the same kind of thing on the court. And I kind of developed this MO of, you know, if you watch clay play, he plays with this kind of childlike enthusiasm of just who cares? Like, let's, let's, let's have, you know, I'm out here playing on, you know, a national stage at the biggest college tournament of the year. I'm blessed to be here. Like, let's, let's have a good time. And, you know, I, I remember just having probably the best time of my life on the court. Like I was, you know, smiling, I was hitting winners. I was pointing at the crowd. I had a bunch of friends there. I was just, you know, living it. Um, and, you know, winning that tournament, you know, just kind of created, kind of kept that steam going for me. And, you know, I, I won 19 straight matches going into my senior year, uh, to this, the season of the senior year and, you know, becoming the best tennis player that I can be has always kind of been my, my goal and my kind of path in life, I guess. Um, so, you know, to not have that for a little bit was really kind of off putting and it made me, you know, realize what tennis really had given to me, you know, a purpose a, a reason to, you know, keep waking up in the morning and keep pushing myself. Um, and you know, without that, it was really kind of, you know, lonely. It was kind of empty. Um, so I think that experience really gave me, you know, kind of a, a boost as far as, you know, taking it for granted. Like I think before I was just like, you know, screw it, you know, I'm a great player, whatever, but you know, I can, you know, do whatever I want or whatever. And then when I kind of got injured, I was like, wow, you know, I'm really taking my, you know, talent and my ability to play for granted. So let's not, I wouldn't say be more serious about it, but just kind of be more thankful for it. Um, and that sense of gratitude is what really, you know, what really helps me develop that, that, uh, style of, you know, kind of, I, I don't want to say non-caring, but kind of, you know, free, free playing. Right, right. And and you also mentioned something very interesting, which is the fact that you got into yoga and meditation. And so there's different kinds of meditation. Um, I mean, I just try to do the best I can in the morning, but it does help me uh, when I meditate in the mornings. But what, I don't know, was there a particular kind of meditation that you practice? Um, well, it was really, it, you know, it was the introduction to the meditation for me was through yoga. So it was kind of a moving meditation and, you know, just keeping your mind, you know, focus on the pose that you're doing at the time and not worrying about anything else. 
And then, you know, once, you know, once I could do that for an hour and a half, then it became kind of, okay, can you focus just on your breath for an hour and a half or whatever it is? Um, and you know, my teacher at the time was, you know, really, really helpful for that. And she kind of helped me, you know, stay in the present moment as much as possible. And because I am, you know, as easygoing as I am, I do think about a lot of things and I do, you know, competitive and ambitious and whatever it is. So, you know, it's, sometimes I do get jumbled up in all the things that I'm thinking about, but you know, she was able to kind of take away from that and be like, okay, you know, just obviously it's good to be thinking about those types of things, but when you're doing something, you know, what, what other activity it is, you know, you need to be focused on that activity and nothing else. So, you know, play, doing yoga for an hour and a half and just being focused on that, then I could go out and play tennis for an hour and a half and just be focused on the tennis. And, you know, the best part about it was I wasn't thinking about, oh, if I lose this match, then my ranking goes down. Or if I lose this match, then I suck or whatever it is. I was just thinking, oh, I have a forehand. Now I'm going to hit it cross court. Now when the guy hits it back to me or, you know, then the guy hits it back to me. and I'm like, oh, now I have a backhand. I'm going to hit it down the line and I'm going to come in. And then, you know, that kind of thing. And that, you know, freeing up that mental space so that you can stay so focused on the game is probably the biggest you know, and I think now is probably the biggest difference between the good player and the mediocre player. Um, because everyone, you know, as you've seen, or as any fan has seen, everyone can hit a ball pretty well, but you know, there's some sort of indescribable difference between the Roger Federer's of the world and, you know, the guys that aren't Roger Federer. So, and I think, you know, even with all the natural talent he has, I think the thing that he does, you know, so great is he's just so focused and so, you know, composed on the court. And, that is really, you know, that's, that's a difference maker. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the mental part of it all is, is huge. Um, that's why obviously players who look like they have a worse game oftentimes win. Um, and so with your, you know, amazing, uh, accomplishments at USCLA, um, who was the most influential person, um, on the, on your team that helped you grow your game and your character, would you say? My freshman year, it was probably Daniel Kosakowski. Uh, my, you know, he was the number one recruit in the country when I was the number three, and we went to UCLA together and we roomed together. And it was like having two. We got along really well, but it was having two polar opposite people in the same room. It was he was day in day out, a hundred percent training, like so focused on being the best tennis player that he could be. And then there was me, who was just like, up, oh, uh, I'm gonna go to practice practice and then I'm going to go out for a little bit. I'm going to go to dinner. You know, I'm going to have a good time. And, you know, obviously he had a good time too, but you know, he seeing his level of dedication and how much higher it was than mine was like pretty, you know, mind blowing for me who, you know, me who had always been kind of this laid back, you know, easygoing guy and seeing someone really, you know, a hundred percent give it their all. And, you know, I kind of started palling around with him a lot and we would, you know, push each other to do workouts and go hit serves, you know, after hours and stuff like that. So, you know, I think he was really influential for me um, in the development of my game, just as far as the dedication and hard work goes. And then he left to go pro. And, you know, my sophomore year, um, I was really good friends with Nick Meister. Same kind of thing, you know, seeing his dedication and work ethic. Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, it's not a knock against him or anything like that. But, you know, he's such, just like Daniel was, he's such a, you know, focused, dedicated guy. And, you know, that's just the way that, you know, he functions. And, you know, seeing that was really, really cool for me because that's not how I work at all. Like I'm a total, you know, I'm a creative kind of type. I'm, 
you know, a little bit like, okay, you know, I'm going to do my, do my work when I can't, when I want to, and then, you know, step away from it and kind of free myself of it and to see, and that would, you know, I kind of grew up in LA with a bunch of other creative types, liberals, you know, that kind of thing. And seeing, you know, the mix of, you know, the Nick, the Daniel Kosakowski, the Marcos, you know, all of those guys mm-hmm. who are very similar minded, you know, that really played a huge role into developing me into more of a, you know, serious person, you know, not like it really changed my mindset that much, but it, you know, it, to give me that insight of how these people function, you know, it really was big for me. Um, and then, you know, aside from all the inspiration they gave me, like I said earlier, you know, Grant Chen being the great, you know, manager, managerial mastermind that he is, um, you know, really helped me, uh, you know, get through a lot of tough times with my tennis career and, uh, I definitely wouldn't be where I am without him. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, one of the biggest principles in in life just to surround yourself with, uh, you know, the best people you can because you can learn so much from them and integrate uh, what they do well in your own uh, routines and and things like that. Um, Obviously, again, you know, great, great accomplishments over there. And I I hate to, you know, bring up a possibly, you know, uh, tough match for you all. But, I mean, you guys did wonderful in getting to the uh, finals of the NCAA uh, championships. Played Virginia and it was a tight uh, 4-3 match against them. Uh, I've talked to some of them on the podcast as well, Tred Huey and uh, Coach Brian Boland. But can you talk us through just, you know, a match like that and like kind of what, how you react afterwards to just pick yourself back up and and keep going uh, as, as strong as you can moving forward? Yeah, I mean, that was obviously a real heartbreaker. I mean, we thought we won the match, you know, for a second. We were national champions. Um, you know, that was when Adrian won the point, but then touched the net with his foot. Um, so, you know, to have that sense of, wow, we won it, you know, we're champions, and then be like, oh, wait, we're not, okay, but we're still going to win, and then being like, oh, whoa, we didn't win. Um, that was really tough, and uh, probably one of the most, you know, definitely up there, top. 10 top five devastating losses, probably top five devastating losses in my career. Um, and you know, that was really tough. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, people are going to come fire back at me for saying this, but you know, I didn't really feel that we deserved it as a team that year, honestly. And that's why it wasn't, you know, it was a tough, it was a really tough loss, uh, cause obviously we wanted to win it, but I didn't feel that individually, you know, as a team, uh, individually as a team, <laughs> as odd as that sounds, but, you know, as a, as a team, you know, we didn't, we weren't close enough. We weren't committed enough together. We were kind of just six, six guys playing for, for themselves. Um, and so that's why it didn't, you know, it stung at the time, but looking back on it, you know, I didn't think, I don't think, Oh, you know, Oh, it's such, so terrible that it happened. You know, it's a pretty good story. <laughs> Um, and you know, we did have a really good run and a lot to be proud of, but at the end of the day, you know, I, to, to take, you know, some learning aspects, learning experiences away from it is what you want to do for every loss. And I, I didn't feel that we really earned it as a team. And that's kind of why we lost in general. Um, you know, that that's not the case the next year when we lost to Oklahoma in the semifinals. Um, I felt like that was our year that we were really, you know, bonded together as a team, all working towards a similar goal. Uh, and to lose that match against Oklahoma was, that's the most devastating loss in my career for sure. Uh, when I was the number one player in the country, Marcos was number two player in the country. We both ended up losing and 
you know, to kind of have that feeling of, you know, being, you know, the leader of the team or whatever it is and, you know, having everyone kind of surrounded together, you know, really fighting for the same goal and losing, uh, even though, you know, it was just as close four, three, uh, it wasn't the NCAA finals. It was the semis. So I don't know, just, just because of the kind of camaraderie that we had, you know, I take that loss a lot harder. And so that's kind of what I learned from my junior year, I think. Well, I appreciate, you know, you reflecting on those experiences and it's important for the audience and everybody to just be reminded that, um, you know, in, in people's careers and lives, there's going to be so many ups and downs, but it's just the way you react that, uh, uh, determines whether you're going to be successful in moving forward. Um, and you did, um, I think play for uh, a bit with, uh, Mackenzie McDonald, who I've had the pleasure of interviewing at the city open, uh, seems like a really great talent. Um, just, you know, amazing feel, uh, in for the game from what I've seen. And so kind of, what are your impressions about, uh, Mackie, um, based on, you know, you're playing, uh, you know, alongside him and, and watching him play and, and what do you think about his prospects uh, on the pro tour? Yeah, I think he's a great player, obviously. I mean, to win NCAA singles and doubles in the same year is pretty incredible. Um, and he was part of that team that I was talking about that, you know, kind of had that great camaraderie and really bonded together uh, my senior year. Um, so I have a lot of respect for Mackey and I like him a lot. And I think he's, you know, incredible talent. Obviously, he's got a lot of skills, um, a lot of great, you know, great potential for sure. Um, you know, he's, he returns really well. He has great ground strokes. I like the fact that he hits pretty flat. Um, that's going to help him a lot as he gets up to the upper echelons of the game. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of upside for him. You know, if I had to, if I had to knock one part of his game and, you know, I love him, love him to death. Uh, it's just the fact that, you know, I, I don't, you know, I am a fan of, you know, passion and energy and, you know, that kind of thing. I know it's not for everyone, but when I watch Mackie play, it seems you know, a lot of the times like he's, you know, kind of sad or almost <laughs> depressed on the court. And I've told him this, like, I just like, you know, it's, you know, I, as much as I love him and as much as I think he's, you know, a really talented player, you know, I don't think I would pay, you know, whatever it is, 20, 40 bucks to go see him play because it's just like, I don't want to watch someone play that's sad, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, you know, my, my knock to him is like, dude, like, you know, fight, you know, I know you're fighting, but like, you know, show it and like, you know, you don't have to be like me or like, you know, screaming come ons or anything like that. But, you know, to, to have your eyes always downcast and just kind of like, you know, sad is, you know, just, it's not entertaining. And that's, you know, that's what the sport needs. You know, if Mackie goes on to be, you know, the potential number one American, like he could be, you know, I want him to kind of carry that flag in, you know, a confident manner. That's like, you know, come watch me play. I'm going to, you know, be America's best talent, whatever, you know, kind of confidence rather than, you know, okay, come watch me play. Uh, it's going to be fun, I guess, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And like for a guy like him with the, the feel that he has and shots that he pulls off, if he can uh, inject some uh, additional personality into his, you know, his game, I think that would be a real, real cla uh, crowd pleaser, excuse me. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, just moving on to the Pro Tour, I mean, you've, you know, been grinding it for a few years and whatnot. You, you know, you got to play in the Newport uh, ATP 250 event uh, 2014. And I saw that interview and that was uh, fantastic to see just like how happy you were. Um, you know, I think you played Stevie Johnson, um, but uh, yeah, just an amazing experience. But what's the toughest part about being a professional tennis player in your opinion? 
the toughest part is the fact that you're basically building a company from the ground, but you have to be the CEO and also the COO and the talent. And I mean, you have to, you have to make sure that, you know, all your ducks are in a row as far as finances, as far as, uh, you know, travel, as far as, you know, all your different managerial things. I mean, you're the boss of that. And at the same time, you have to train to become a professional athlete, uh, an elite athlete. So, you know, that's the part that really, you know, messes with a lot of people. And, you know, cause it's not like, you know, football or basketball where you get signed to a team and all you have to focus on is, is winning. Um, you know, if, if you get signed to an agency or you get signed to a management company, they'll help you out with that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you're the one that says, you know, what's right or wrong. You're the one that hires them and fires them. Uh, and that's not the same with any other sport, you know, with any other sport, you're signed to a team and they say, well, any other team sport, you're signed, they're signed to a team and you, they say, okay, you know, we're giving you X amount of money. You need to show up and play like this, you know, or else, you know, we're going to cut you or something like that. But with tennis, it's like, okay, I'm giving myself X amount of money. Like, because, you know, everything that you do is, you know, you're in control of it all. You know, whether you get a sponsor to give you X amount of money, you know, that's, that's on you basically, you know, maybe your agent can help you with that, but you know, you fire your and hire your agent. So you're, you're the owner of your own team at the same time as you have to train yourself to be an elite athlete. Um, and that's really the toughest part about tennis and, you know, why, you know, I, you know, I have a lot of things that I do on the side writing, you know, I'm involved with a couple of different businesses and, you know, for me, it's like, I'm able to, I'm able to supplement myself, you know, financially and, you know, like that, but you know, it's tough because it takes away, you know, from, you know, my, my tennis career. Um, and you know, I, as much as I love tennis, you know, I want to be out there, you know, doing it as much as I can and, you know, playing and you know pursuing my goal of being you know a great tennis player but you know financially it really doesn't make sense because of all these things that you have to do you know on the off side of the court um and so you know i i want to push for you know a way that players can give themselves more security in the sport you know part of it is really cool because that's what makes you know that's what makes tennis such a a macho sport in the sense. I mean, because it is so, so tough to make it and it's so brutal, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's tough. Like for me, you know, I put so many hours on the court, you know, I was the number two junior in the country. I was the number one player in college. And at the end of the day, I have absolutely no job security. Um, you know, if, if we go off my prize money or whatever in tennis, it's like, I mean, I haven't made like barely anything. Like I've like, quadruple i mean i've done <laughs> 10 times that in my own you know endeavors outside of the court so it's mm-hmm. like you know how do i justify to myself you know to keep going and you know to pull to push myself to such lengths without you know any security and that's you know it's really tough and you know it's it's sad for me to see a lot of my colleagues who you know didn't you know, have the education that I had and don't, you know, have the, you know, the off court skills, I guess that I have struggle so badly with, you know, being a pro because they're such great players. And it's like these guys, they're making less than 10 grand a year, basically. I mean, they're making, you know, whatever it is in prize money, but they're paying it out in expenses. So at the end of the day, I mean, they're netting like five, 10 grand a year. Like they're still living with their parents. Like, it's like, fuck, like, you know, it's, it's, it sucks. Like it really sucks. And, uh, you know, it's like, I really see, you know, a good, a good future for tennis. I really like where it's going. You know, I, I think 
that it's got a lot of potential, but you know, I, I, you know, as, you know, as not even a player, as a fan, as an entrepreneur, you know, I want to, you know, help give back to the game by being able to, you know, come up with some sort of idea that can, you know, create more job security for these players. And, you know, I think, you know, there's definitely ways of doing it. I think, you know, there are, there could be, you know, associations or whatever, you know, groups that, you know, help fund players and help say, look, you know, if you want to commit to, you know, playing under our brand or whatever, then we can, you know, guarantee you X amount of money to represent us and, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, it, it really would create a more healthy environment for tennis because it's, it, it stinks to go out there to these tournaments and see players that are so, they're on the fringe of happiness because, you know, they're playing pro tennis and it's great, but they know that if they lose first round in that tournament, like, they're not yeah. like they're barely going to be able to eat or get to the next tournament. And it's like that. I mean, it, it helps drive the competitiveness of the sport, but it's also just it's it's brutal and it's it sucks. I mean, more than anything. Um, and and the root of the problem is, you know, the fact that American audiences, you know, I, I, I'm targeting America specifically, but American audiences need to be more involved in going to these matches. I mean, when there's a futures tournament, like the level of tennis is great at these futures tournaments, but no one knows about it. The marketing mm -hmm. behind them is so horrible. I mean, mm -hmm. futures, futures, you know, they lose a ton of money. They lose whatever money they put into it. Challengers basically lose whatever money they put into it. ATP 250s are in the negatives right now in America. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, there's something that can be done about that because people really do like tennis. They just don't, they don't have the ability to understand it. They don't have the reason. They don't have the, the people marketing it down their throats the way they do football, basketball, baseball. Um, and it just seems that someone with a good mind could come in and say, look, the whole system is flawed. Like it, it really is like we need to get more promotions at these futures tournaments to watch this great tennis that's taking place between I mean, you could be watching a guy that's 230 in the world battle a guy that's 210 in the world for basically $400. And they could be playing each other for three hours in 110 degree weather. And they're playing basically for $400. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I really love this discussion because, I mean, tennis is just an amazing sport. And I think we need to do more to be able to sustain, uh, you know, these players who are just battling and, and working so hard for like, you know, one tenth of minimum wage, you know, it's just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, when you mentioned that solution, I mean, it actually reminded me of like of the UFC where they basically now Reebok is sponsoring all their pros. And obviously there, there might be like, maybe, I don't know if it's better or worse off, but, you know, for example, just some, some, something to facilitate, you know, the, uh, these, the careers of these players by maybe just giving them some, sort of like stable financial income but well we're working on it i mean we we have something really cool in the works right now often's a part of it um you know i can't talk about it right yet nice. but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool um you know we're really excited about it and uh you know hopefully in uh, 2017 next year i'll be able to kind of promote it as much as i can and um you know, I'm, I'm really, I, I am excited for the future of tennis and I want to, you know, I love the sport and I think a lot of other people love the sport too. And I want to get back, I want to get it back to a place where, you know, my generation is like, man, I want to go to the U S open and watch, you know, Mackie McDonald or whatever it is and just be like, you know, I love, I love him. You know, I want to spend a hundred dollars to go watch him play, you know, that kind of thing, you know, cause it's not like that at all right now. Yeah, well, I think that's incredible, and uh, I just want to give you know huge kudos to you and Othman and whoever else is involved in the project of yours. Um, 
definitely feel free to come back on the show when that's up and you know promote it definitely. and we'll talk about it yeah i mean that's that's fantastic i hope that works out because as we all know or at least most of us know you know they've done studies and if you're not ranked like 150 or so then you're actually you know not making any money or you're not able to sustain yourself i forgot which one it is but um yeah. e- either way it's, i mean even if you are though i mean it's like you have to be i mean you have to be doing so many other things as well it's like if you're 80 in the world it basically whatever you do i mean you should be getting you know pretty (laughs) decent like sustenance for you know it's like you know it's i see a lot of these guys and i mean it's it's a good lifestyle like to be able to play pro tennis but like when you you know put your body through so many hours of training and so much rigor rigorous of traveling you know if if the 80 player in the world you know plays five years at 80 in the world and then retires he's gonna have to get a job in at least a year or two or something to sustain himself for the rest of his life because it's not like he's making enough. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, just great thoughts, and I hope that um, we can get that up uh, running as soon as possible, we being you, of course. Um, uh, so, you know, again, regarding the Pro Tour, uh, a lot of our audience obviously is very interested in uh, what what the pros do to train. So for you on a, uh, say a non-tournament week, what's a typical day of training look like? Um, I like to wake up, uh, you know, either like, you know, whatever it is, eight or let's say my prep first practice is at 10. I like to wake up at like seven, you know, kind of take my time waking up, maybe do some, you know, morning meditations or whatever. And then, uh, you know, do kind of a light workout. I live basically right on the beach. Um, so I like to, you know, walk out on my, my place and, you know, maybe go for a little run on the beach, you know, do a little kind of, you know, something to warm up the body stretches, dynamic warm up kind of thing just to get moving. Um, and then, you know, come back, eat, uh, you know, arrive at like nine fifteen, nine thirty for a 10 AM practice, uh, start warming up again. Um, and, you know, getting the body ready, you know, play for, two hours from 10 to 12, take a two hour lunch break. Uh, and then depending on the day, I'll either do, you know, a two to four practice and then fitness afterwards, or maybe just an extended fitness uh, session instead of, you know, the second practice. And then, uh, you know, come home around, you know, six usually. Um, and, uh, you know, have a nice dinner, hopefully with friends or someone and, uh, you know, have, have, a, have a nice rest of the night. Um, but it's, you know, it's pretty much a, you know, it's a, it's an eight to six kind of thing. I mean, when you consider, you know, you know, the, the preparations of your body and, you know, the stretching and the warming up and all that stuff. But, you know, a lot of people, again, it's like, you know, a lot of people look at it as, you know, it's a total rigorous, you know, workout. It's a total, you know, strenuous thing, but it's, you know, the way I look at tennis, it's more of a lifestyle than anything. You know, it's something that you obviously can do for the rest of your life, your entire life. Uh, you can play it no matter how old you are, but you know, it's like, a, it's, it's really, you know, a way of structuring your life around playing a sport. And it's, it, that's the, the element of it. That's really cool to me. I mean, when you're able to kind of take it in stride like that and be like, you know, this is my life, you know, I wake up, I, you know, I warm my body up, I play a sport that's really fun. And then I push myself in fitness to, you know, get to an even more elite level. And, you know, you really enjoy every part of the day. Um, and that's really cool. Uh, and that's something that you can't say about a lot of other things, obviously. Um, so, you know, to really immerse yourself totally in that lifestyle is I think truly the magic of tennis. Um, 
And, you know, it's, it's just about being able to live that lifestyle and not be worried about other things. You know, for me, you know, I'm able to do my writing, which is great and do a few other things on the side, but you know, it's, it's like, you know, if, if I was able to, you know, just live totally that tennis lifestyle and know that, you know, I have two years or something to live that lifestyle and not worry about anything else, then, you know, that would give me, you know, a large boost, I guess. But it's, you know, at the same time, it is such a nice lifestyle to live when, you know, you really put the, all things in perspective. So, you know, I guess, you know, where do you draw the line between privilege and, uh, you know, excess, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it sounds right now that you have a really great setup. It's very admirable that you're able to, you know, train at a professional level and also have other ventures that you're involved with. Um, and, uh, yeah, I actually, I mean, I, I also have a full-time job and I do this podcast stuff and blogging and I've got something that huge that I'm trying to pull off next month or next year that I can't talk about either. But, um, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. And I'm curious uh, back to the training as far as, um, uh, if, when you, uh, go to the gym, uh, you know, do you use, uh, weights? Like, could you kind of just go walk through like maybe a typical type of like a uh, workout for you? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, um... You know, for I think weights are super important, um, and you know, like kettlebell work is really important. You know, lunges, squats, that those kind of things. Um, but you know, my advice to you know people that are just getting started or that want to get on a good routine, you know, it's not it's not beneficial to to do to to race into those types of things. You know, it's you know really beneficial to do you know by, uh, squats with a bar with a bar you know back squats like that whatever but you need to make sure that you're doing it with the right form you need to make sure that you're not you know compensating for deficiencies in your body uh by you know slouching or whatever it is so you know the first for me you know the first thing that i did when i started to really get you know focused on my body which was probably about my senior year in college um was you know a ton of stretching a ton of you know body weight exercises that were able to get yourself in you know in like a proper body mechanic type of place so that you're doing you know you're using the right muscles to you know take the load from the weights because if you're using too many too much of your knees and you're doing back squats or you know lunges with kettlebells or dumbbells or whatever it is you're just going to end up messing yourself up um so now you know now that i've kind of covered that whole basis now i do a lot of you know a lot of core work a lot of kettlebell stuff um you know, a lot of, uh, chops, um, with, you know, with a rope, uh, mm-hmm. a weighted rope. Um, let's see a lot of, uh, physio ball exercises, hamstring curls, those kind of things. Uh, you know, uh, bridges, hip bridges with, with weights, a lot of shoulder exercises to keep the, keep the shoulder strong because that's important for tennis. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, a lot of different ways you can do it. I mean, each person shouldn't have the same training regimen. Um, but you know, when I was doing more generic workouts, I could see, you know, my body breaking down because I wasn't doing the things right. 
and so, you know, to be able to take the time to really, you know, get your body set in the right way and make sure that you are, you know, using the right body mechanics is, you know, super important. Yeah, great point. Again, Clay, I mean, uh, tennis is a, you know, different sport from other sports, obviously. And, you know, a lot of the problem with, um, I guess, amateur players is they'll go into the a gym and then they'll see people, you know, benching huge and squatting huge. And they immediately think that they should try to, you know, max out or do as much as they can when, um, you know, what you should be doing is, you know, picking up a book like uh, Complete Conditioning for Tennis by Mark Kovacs or, you know, talking to a, a specialist who knows what tennis needs. Um, because uh, in talking with um, Todd Ellenbecker as well, who's um, the uh, vice president of medical services for the ATP Tour, he said that um, just, you know, people ignore a lot of the muscles that are used in tennis if they're just um, benching and, and squatting only, you know. So basically, you have to just know your body and 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 formulate a, a routine that will advance, um, you know, your body in a way to prepare you for the game properly and um, to, you know, use progression. I personally like to work within the 8 to 15 rep range and, and gradually increase, yep. exactly, and uh, gradually increase either the rep range or when I get to the top of the rep range, then increase the weight by like 5 or 10 pounds. So anyway, you know, just, just be smart about how you work out is the main point here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the best trainers that I've ever worked with have, if you, if a person unknowing were to walk in and watch the workouts, they would be like, are you a professional athlete or are you like a 10 year old kid? You know, something <laughs> like that. Like, it's like, you know, the, the, the stuff that they make you do is so basic, yeah. but it's so important. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, to any, to anyone out there that's listening and, you know, wants to get on a good training regimen, you know, it's, you really need to start, you know, slow and correct. You know, there's no reason to be lifting weights if you don't know how to do it. And, you know, most of the, pretty much all of the population doesn't know how to do it. And it's, you know, it's more detrimental than beneficial, even, you know, at the total casual level, when I walk around and I see people running, it's like, you're hurting your knees more than anything. Like, I mean, what, what you're doing is actually horribly detrimental for your body. And, you know, it's, it's important to keep those things in mind. Definitely. I mean, I just tell everyone to start with a shake weight when they're training. Yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I'm just kidding. Everyone, please disregard. Uh, <laughs> just sit in your room, sit in your room in your boxers and do the shake weight. <laughs> you'll, you'll get fit in no time. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely won't uh, get weird stares either uh, by your family or friends. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so, you know, a wonderful experience that you had in addition to Newport, of course, was uh, reaching the semis at the uh, Champagne uh, Challenger in Illinois, I believe, last year. And that was captured on video. A lot of uh, just awesome points and great high energy. Um, can you just uh, maybe talk about, like, that experience uh, and how, how great it was? Yeah, I mean that was uh that was probably the best professional tournament that I've played so far and that capped off a year that you know I started playing on the pro tour full time in June that year and so that was about 5 months later in November and that was the time that I went from 2000 in the world to 440 in the world. So that was, you know, a really great run for me. Um and to be able to cap it off, you know, at that tournament was was pretty magical. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, that, that video, that, you know, style of play that I was playing really, you know, it captures, you know, who I am. And that's just, 
I went out there and I had a lot of fun. Um, and that was, you know, the main thing that I took away from the tournament. It wasn't how well I did. Uh, it wasn't, you know, how good I felt about my game. It was just how good I felt about, you know, life at the time. You know, I just, I was just having a lot of fun by being there and uh, playing those matches and, you know, competing at such a high level. Um, and, you know, having, you know, solid fans that came out and were interested in watching me play. Um, so that was all really cool. Um, and, you know, just to, to experience that with, you know, my longtime coach, Scott, and to, you know, beat a couple of players that, you know, had previously held top 100 rankings and were currently just outside, you know, that was, that was really cool. And, uh, you know, it's, it was, it was a really great six months for me and to, to cap it off that way, was, was nothing I could have asked for more. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so you mentioned Scott. So like, you know, he told you to like find another coach and all that before college. But so are you, you're you're back with Scott now? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um we that's he actually good. came back and helped me uh get to number 1 in the country my senior year. Um gotcha. he came back and started coaching me during my junior year, stayed with me my junior and senior year, and then uh we put together a plan that would allow him basically to, you know, travel with me on the road. Uh for six months and you know we got from 2000 in the world to 400 in the world and it was it was really great i wish we could have kept it going but you know again it's just you know it's really expensive uh you know i put together you know i put together a great business plan that you know bought me six months basically of playing exactly the way i wanted to and i had great results um and uh you know i want to i want to do something like that again because this year I basically traveled all over the world by myself um, and, you know, had a great experience. It was really cool. But, uh, you know, it just didn't it just didn't make sense in a professional atmosphere. You know, I didn't I didn't have the support I needed and uh, I really didn't play that well. And, you know, I ended up ending my season after the Aptos tournament uh, in August, uh, which I actually played pretty well there. But I ended my season there because I was just, you know, I was kind of burnt out and I wasn't you know really feeling good about the year as a, as a whole. Um, you know, because we were, you know, because I didn't really have as many finances in place as I would have liked and, uh, didn't really have that great of a plan going forward. You know, I wasn't able to really pay for a full-time coach and, uh, or, you know, anyone to come support me. So I was traveling all alone and I kind of just didn't really like it, honestly, you know, again, you know, for me, it's all, it's all about, you know, that happiness when you're playing tennis and, you know, that wasn't there. So I decided to, you know, end the year a little bit early um, you know, take some time off and, uh, you know, now I'm pretty happy about the things that we're building for 2017, but you know, that goes back to my point about, you know, how you do have to be, you know, the CEO of your own company as well as an elite athlete, because, you know, as a CEO, I made the decision to, okay, this year we didn't do things quite right after, you know, gaining 1600 spots in five months, you know, this year I lost lots and now I'm going to end the year probably about 600 in the world, which is in the wrong direction. So, you know, as an elite athlete, you know, I want to keep competing and I want to say, Oh, you know, whatever, those results don't matter. I just want to keep battling, keep getting better, whatever. But as a CEO, I have to say, well, financially that's, you know, the amount of points that I could make up from August till November are inconsequential. And, you know, the money that would, I would be putting into it wouldn't be worth it. So I kind of had to, you know, quell my inner competitive athlete and say, well, on the business standpoint, we have to wait until basically January to start up again. Well, you know, uh, Clay, I, I think it's really great, again, to just hear um, just your thought processes and that, 
you know, you're not just going to like grind blindly like a robot every tournament that you can because you can step back and see, you know, what what you need to do ultimately to achieve your long term goals. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope some some pros uh, listen to this episode. And I'm going to you know ask a question that I, I've never asked before. But I'm curious, you know, when you mention your business plans and things like that, are there any particular like apps or programs that you use that facilitate uh, and make easier um, your, you know, your your finances when you're deciding like how to map out your your future plans um are we talking about for just like hmm. spreadsheets or like any like financial well, yeah, I mean, apps spreadsheets or whatever for sure, you know for the business plan i created basically you know a powerpoint pdf project um gotcha. and then you know i had you know spreadsheets are extremely important uh i mean you know i recommend this for all people in general, but especially for someone that's trying to run their own business like a professional tennis player. I mean, you need to document every expense that you spend. You need to be, I mean, you need to give yourself a realistic idea of what your budget is. Um, and you know, hopefully try and stay under it or, you know, try and raise it somehow by getting more funds or whatever it is. But I mean, you really do need to take it, you know, seriously. And from that kind of standpoint, and you know, it's kind of stinks to do because again, you're an athlete and you want to just go out there and compete. Um, but, you know, the way the tennis is right now, you can't do that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I Google Calendar is super important, uh, mm-hmm. spreadsheets, you know, PowerPoints, um, you know, all those things. But, you know, for me, it was just documenting everything as much as possible. And, uh, you know, I think there are, you know, there are a lot of ways, you know, if you're, if for me, like if I'm in L.A. and I'm an L.A.-based person and I get in with an L.A.-based company, if I go play a tournament in Asia, it does the company great deals to have me wearing their stuff because I'm promoting it in an international market that otherwise they wouldn't have any advertising for. So, you know, to be able to say, hey, you know, I'm going to go play this tour, whatever it is, I'm going to be on tour representing your stuff. Can you give me X amount of money? And you go around to a bunch of different companies like that and, you know, you raise, you know, whatever kind of companies they are, but you raise, you know, five grand here, 10 grand there, five grand here. And then maybe you go to an individual investor and say, hey, you know, I need, you know, X amount of money. I'll, you know, treat this as kind of like a loan or an investment or whatever it is. And I'll pay you back this amount or, you know, as long as it's reasonable, you know, you, it's really possible, you know, to raise, uh, you know, an amount of money. And I did it, you know, an amount of money that, you know, makes it sensible to go, okay, you know, now that I've raised this, I can, you know, pay someone to worry about this for me, you know, right now. And I can just focus on totally becoming, you know, the best athlete that I can become. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the goal that you want to be in, you know, for as long as possible. Um, but obviously it's, it's not easy to sustain because when you are, I mean, you know, I spent, you know, I spent basically 200 grand in, you know, a year, (laughs) Like from June, from June until, you know, August, I spent pretty close to 200 grand on everything combined. And so that's, you know, that's a pretty, it's a pretty hefty investment. Yeah. I mean, it's so huge to have that business savvy that, that you have, um, in order to, you know, flourish on the tour. And, uh, one other tool I want to mention is, uh, MindMeister, which is where you can create mind maps. I, I like that tool. And I think for people who are trying to just kind of map out like their future. That's also a good one as well. Um, Mindster? Oh, Is sorry. Uh, Mindmeister. I'll link it in the show notes as well. Mindmeister? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's M-I-N-D and then M-E-I-S-T-E-R. And they you can create uh, free mind maps there. And then I guess they have a paid version if you want to 
um, you know, want more mind maps or whatever, but it's a good tool. Um, right. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Um, so, yeah, listen, I mean, those those maps are really important for, you know, really finding out which direction you want to go in and also, you know, what your business strategy and your marketing strategy is going to be. Because unfortunately, you have to have all those things. I mean, they're great skills to learn. But, you know, if you're a tennis player, again, you don't really want to have them. But, you know, they're, they're, they'll help you in whatever you go into in life afterwards, which is why tennis is such a great, you know, path it's such a it's it really is a great sport to be able to you know involve yourself in because you do learn all of those things definitely definitely just being in this situation uh, forces you to learn and uh i don't know if the atp or uh, whatever organization puts out like business courses or something but they should probably have some sort of business <laughs> education i mean to help out these yeah, players that would be great as well yeah and I'm, I'm just curious you know i don't know if this is like maybe a personal question but um, you know, do, do you like, I assume you probably have formed some sort of like LLC or something. Um, so I'm just wondering yeah. if, if you do that and do you think a lot of other players even know to do that? Do you think players form their own, um, companies or LLCs? Um, I have, um, and I think it's really important, especially because when you're taking in, you know, 200 grand or whatever it is into your bank account you got to have some you know you can't just say okay i'm spending it on traveling myself all over the world because you're going to get taxed on it or you know or something so you need to be you know pretty smart about how you know you go about actually making those funds seem you know like you're going towards a career and not towards you know just your your everyday expenses and travel plans your your grand vacation um so yeah i mean I did it. I think it's super important and super, you know, reasonable, but I don't think a lot of players do do it. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, it's like a lot, I think a lot of players, you know, have the mindset of just, I'm going to make it, I'm going to grind and I'm going to do it. And you know, that's admirable. It really is. Uh, I just don't know if it's really realistic. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that it would benefit a lot of players to take a little bit more of a, a business approach. But, you know, I feel like people that listen to this would also fire back and say, you know, you're you don't have, you know, the the passion or whatever it is to become, you know, number one in the world because you see things from this business standpoint and you're just you're not out there, you know, giving it your all and fighting. But, you know, I am giving it my all. I really am. But, you know, I want to do so in a sensible way that isn't going to leave me bankrupt at 28 with no job. Um, because, you know, and, you know, some people will say, well, that's the sacrifice that you have to, you know, make in order to be number one in the world. And I would say, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. But at the same time, you know, I have been, you know, a person that hasn't put my eggs all in one basket for tennis. You know, I did get an education. I do, you know, I love my life outside of tennis and, you know, I love tennis as well, but it's, it's just, it's, it's one aspect of my life. It's not the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me, I forgot which rap group on the Chappelle show, they said, diversify your bonds. <laughs> but exactly. uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that episode. But anyway, yeah, no, I think it's, it's you know, like you said, I mean, what do you, it's such a, a huge risk to just say, okay, like, I'm going full speed ahead, given that, um, you know, the percentage of players that get to that top level is, um, you know, very low and such. Um, so, I think it's just smart to set yourself up for to have a very enjoyable life. And at the same time, I mean, you're, you know, you're grinding in your other passion so that you can, you know, have a better um, setup and more resources um, moving forward in, you know, your six month or year plan and such. So I think that's a great thing to do. Um, so in your opinion, 
Uh, this is kind of a loaded question. In your opinion, what is the key to really succeeding on the pro tour? Um, I think the key is surrounding yourself with a good support system, you know, whether that, you know, means you're paying them or whether it means you just have someone to call or to, you know, I think it's really important to when you're playing a match, just to have someone watching you that, you know, that you can look at and, you know, draw strength from, you know, um, you know, or something that that's going to help you when it's five all in the third set and, you know, you're about to serve and, you know, you can look over to them and you know that they want you to win just as bad as you want to win and that they're there for you. Um, and I think that support is so crucial. And, you know, even it, it is an independent sport. You know, you hear Djokovic say it now. He thinks it's a team sport because of all the effort that he puts into his physio, his coach, mm-hmm. you know, all the other aspects of his team. And, you know, I think that is where it's heading. You know, I think it used to be more of an individual sport than it is. Um because, you know, it used the way that tennis is, it used to be easier to just get on a plane and go to a tournament and hit a few times and then play the tournament. But now, you know, with all the resources that people that other, you know, your competition is putting into it, it's like you really have to be on top of everything. You know, it's it's not so much the country club, you know, gentleman sport that it once was. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of cutthroat out there. It really is, especially at the challenger and futures level and low ATP level. So, I mean, you really need to, you know, have a strong support system behind you, whether, you know, whatever that means to you, it can differ from player to player, but you know, you, you just got to have that because, you know, I've done both, you know, I've, I've done it where, you know, I just go happy, go lucky, going to get on a plane, go to Maui, play a challenger, whatever, you know, hit a few times. It's great. And I think that, you know, talking to, you know, some of my mentors, you know, Derek Ristagno is a top, you know, 20 top 15 player back in the 80s bill scanlon was a top 10 player you know both those guys are very close to me and have mentored me throughout my career Mm. and you know they they you know have experiences of kind of similar things they you know neither of those guys really traveled with a coach on a forget a physio you know any of Mm. that so you know and you know bill would just go you know wherever lendl was and train with lendl and it's like that's cool. Like, you know, I really respect that. And, you know, that's how tennis was in the eighties, maybe even the nineties, whatever. But now it's a totally different game. And that's why, you know, I would like to see, you know, more team kind of aspects come into it. And with that team aspect comes security and it comes, you know, real support behind the player. Because, you know, when you look at Djokovic, when you look at these upcoming guys, Verev, Sok, like all these guys, like they have full teams behind them, you know, mm-hmm. competing, you know, they're competing. It's like, so how is, how is someone that doesn't have that going to go beat them? You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be really, really tough. You know, maybe they do it once, but they're not going to be able to sustain that. And then how does, how does a player that's, you know, 500 in the world sustain that? And, you know, if that's what it's going to take to become 100 in the world, how are they going to break through? So I think that's kind of the real, you know, divide that players need to understand and kind of, you know, figure out a way to get, get over it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there's so many different facets of tennis, you know, the, um, nutrition aspect, the training, the mental game, and it almost seems unfair. Um, I mean, obviously these players have worked hard to reach the top, but you know that the top few players have a huge system, a support system in place, while the players who are lower ranked just simply can't afford to have all that. And you know, it's definitely it reminds me of uh, Coach Brian Bull on episode thirty-four of the podcast, is saying how uh, you know it's a, it's really a team sport, um, but. You know, our audience always loves hearing about, uh, you know, interesting experiences and, and I've seen some photos of, 
of I guess futures mainly events that like are in horrible shape and and whatnot, and you don't have to you don't have to name them yeah. and all that and give me your, their address. But what what was your worst experience? Would you say at a futures um, and or challenger event? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's so many experiences where I can just say, oh, the club was you know bad, the courts were bad, the conditions were bad. You know, but I feel like that's not really like, I mean, that's just what it is. Like, and you kind of have to make the best of that. And, uh, you know, for me, it's like, I'm all about making the best of that. I mean, I think a good example of that was, you know, we played me and Scott, one of the first tournaments we played on tour was at this club in Manzanillo that was, you know, Manzanillo is okay. Manzanillo, Mexico. Um, it's, Ah. you know, it's a fine place. Um, you know, it's extremely hot. The conditions were like 110 degrees with like 90% humidity. And, you know, there's like no, you know, there's no anything at the courts for any of the players. There's no hospitality at all. People are just sitting out in the sun getting ready to play. Nice. Um, but it's like for, you know, for us, it's like the, the, the hotel that they made you stay at or that they had you stay at was like this, you know, kind of seedy little resort and it's you know it kind of had you know food that a lot of players were getting food poisoning from and nice. you know all that and so i looked at it and i was like well let's see if we can do this differently so we went on airbnb and found a three-story house on top of a hill with wow. an infinity pool that came with a chef and a car jesus. for 50 dollars less a night than the resort was yeah jesus and so i'm like well why don't we give that a shot so we do that and i ended up winning the tournament wow. <laughs> um and because everyone else was know, poisoned our, right yeah, no, I'm I, I actually ended up getting food poisoned there too but oh no <laughs> that was uh yeah i mean that was my own fault yeah. but uh yeah i mean you know that kind of thing it's like you know when you look at it maybe from more of a managerial perspective it's like you know maybe we can you know make these smart decisions like i saved money and i put myself in a situation that was more conducive to winning um and so you know when you talk about all these bad experiences it's like i mean yeah could i say i went to you know whatever place it was in china and played like a really grimy tournament in you know the fifth most polluted city in the world yeah i could tell you that but at the same time it's like well you know i'm still traveling around the world playing tennis so you got to make the best of it (laughs) right exactly i mean it's your theme you know going all along exactly Um, yeah so see i'm looking at some fan questions i'm going to ask you this one just because it's kind of hilarious i mean i don't even know what how you'd answer this so this is from the Ninjaneer. He said he wants to ask you, what's it like to be both 1980s John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg in one body? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, those are two of my favorite players, so that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I think uh, maybe I have the McEnroe flair and the Borg hair. So uh, ah, basically just telling me I'm a, I'm a uh, better looking McEnroe. I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly what he said. Yeah, I mean, I, I love both of those. Those are probably two of my, you know, four top favorite players. The other two being Gerolitis and Sampras. So, uh, you know, that's a great comparison. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, another fan question from, God, I don't know how to pronounce this. Aga Bogawa. Um he he asks, uh, what's the camaraderie like on the Challenger Tour? Um it's really interesting because 
You know, it's you're playing. It's basically like a traveling circus. You're playing the same people every single week, and you get to know those people really well. And you want to be. I mean, you're friendly with them, but at the same time, that's who you have to beat. Right. So it's a kind of a it's kind of a strange thing. It really is. Um, I mean, you know, for me, when I'm at tournaments, you know, I kind of, you know, obviously when you're playing the match. You put all, you put your whole friend, you put your friendship, you put, you know, all your relationships, whatever behind you and you focus on winning the match. And, you know, I think that's a general rule of understanding that every player has, um, you know, I, you know, I have never done it myself and I've seen other players be like, oh man, he was such a dick to me during that match. Like he was so like messed up what he was doing. And it's like, no dude, like he's not your friend when you're playing, like it becomes professional. Like if you know, if you're in, you know, if you're friends and you go into a business meeting about a ton of money, you have to put that behind you and say what's best for each of you. Like you can't think of it that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, a, an immature way of putting it is, oh, we're all friends. It's all cool. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just not like that when you're on the court. I mean, when you're on the court, you need to put all that behind you and, you know, win. when as soon as the match ends, you can be friends. You know, I go out to dinner with a lot of the guys constantly. Um, you know, whenever I'm at a tournament with all my UCLA guys, Mackie, Nick, Marcos, you know, all those guys, I try and, mm-hmm. you know, have dinner with them, hang out with them as much as possible, exchange stories. Um, you know, now the USTA is actually doing a really good job. Uh, now that Martin Blackman's in charge mm-hmm. of the player development, you know, he's really, he's really facilitating a, you know, team USA environment. And so they're kind of like when we were at challengers in Korea, you know, he sent Tom Gullickson out there to coach us all. And it's like, you know, eight of us going out to dinner at night with Captain Gully and just kind of, you know, you know, not talking about tennis, just, you know, just shooting, shooting the crap, you know, having a good time, eating good food and, you know, really, you know, enjoying each other's company. And then, you know, that kind of thing I think is really important, especially with where the sport's at by not, by not being able to pay support to come with you to have, you know, fellow Americans there that you can hang out with or, you know, I remember a couple of times I would be playing and Austin Krychek or something like that would come over and watch my match and, you know, clap for me and support me. And it's like without a coach there, like that makes a big difference. And so, you know, I really like to see that. And, you know, it's it is cool when players, you know, come together like that. Uh, it's, you know, it's just something that, you know, if you're friendly and you're going out to dinner every night and then the draw comes out and you play each other first round, you have to be like, OK, you know, we're we're still going to have dinner tonight. We're still cool. But come tomorrow, we're enemies for, you know, three hours or whatever it is. And then as soon as the match is over, we can go back out to dinner, talk about the match, laugh about how I missed a backhand, you know, whatever. (laughs) But, you know, for those, you know, hours, you need to say, you are my nemesis. You know, I want to destroy you kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of, well, I guess pretty much every sport, but, you know, like poker, you know, you can be respectful and be friends. But in the end, you're there to take the money, take the pot, take the chips. So... Uh, that, that's what you got to do. And that's why having a sport team does help because, I mean, it's, it helps and kind of takes away at the same time because, you know, you kind of shelter yourself from the rest of the players and focus only, you know, on yourself, which, you know, unfortunately, I guess you could say unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, you know, that's kind of where the sport's going. You know, I doubt, mm-hmm. you know, Djokovic and Andy Murray are, you know, going out to a nice dinner before they play and joking, joking around. You know, they're probably, you know, reserving themselves within their own team. You know, and that's great. Um, but at the same time, I think it is, you know, it does probably take away from a little bit of the camaraderie because it is cool. You know, it is cool to be kind of a, 
you know, a traveling circus and hanging out with the guys and, you know, that whole thing. And, you know, I think it was a lot more like that in, you know, in that 80s type of period. You know, I think all those guys did hang out a lot more. Even, you know, the top ones in the world did hang out a lot more and they were able to just put their differences aside on the court. But, uh, you know, now I think it's becoming, you know, the guys at the U.S. Open. It's like I doubt they even see each other outside of the, you know, outside of the stadium. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. That's where the game's going. Um, and so, you know, you talked a lot about uh, food. Um, personally, I like uh, a can of soda and some cheese puffs. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but what's what's your favorite uh, your favorite meal after a match? Favorite meal after a match, if I'm playing the next day, would probably be you know some sort of like noodles or rice and you know nice. vegetables. I love like bok choy and broccoli and you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know some sort of chicken and then rice. You know all that is all really good. Um, I'm you know a pretty avid food person. Uh, so you know when I am you know in playing, I do you know I like to. I, I like to have a good meal, but I also like to keep it pretty simple so that I can, you know, get the most nutritional value out of it and, you know, stay away from anything that might slow me down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I'm in LA or, you know, when I'm during off season, I'm a huge sushi eater. Um, one of my best friends owns, you know, a really popular sushi restaurant in, uh, in LA here that I like to go to all the time. Shout out Bar Hayama. Um, oh, nice. what and does that then, mean? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Bar Hayama. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a couple of my other friends are chefs and they like to take me around to a lot of good spots. So, nice, I mean, nice. I'm, I'm a huge, huge food eater and uh, connoisseur, I guess. So I love to uh, indulge in that. But, yeah, I mean, when you're when you're in a tournament, you know, Italian is usually a good bet as far as, you know, getting you know a solid pasta or gluten free pasta. If you want to go that route and, you know, a good good piece of meat and vegetables, Um you know, you want to just keep it, you know, pretty much as, as simple as possible. You don't want to be eating any uh, exquisite uh, exquisite delicacies when you're playing the next day. Yeah, it sounds a little risky right there. Um, yep. And, uh, oh, do you also ever uh, cook yourself uh, when you're out yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, that's, you know, that's something that uh, is also really helpful that you can do if, you know, you do structure things like when I was, you know, at that, uh, we do a lot of Airbnbs when we're on the road to be able to have that kitchen and, you know, you save money by, you know, going to a market and getting, you know, all the supplies and then cooking them yourself. So you're not spending, you know, cause tennis players eat a lot. I mean, if you go to, you know, a very middle of the chain restaurant, say like an olive garden or something like that, you're probably still going to spend, you know, 40 bucks, you know, a meal basically. Um, if you, you know, if you're a working athlete. So, you know, if you can cut that down to, you know, 15 or 20, that's, you know, you're saving half, half your money right there. So it is, you know, it is nice when you can have a place with a kitchen and it also gives you, you know, an area to kind of relax and, you know, not sort of be confined in your hotel room. Like a lot of, a lot of people are. Right. Uh, for sure. And yeah, it was pretty cool to hear that you had your chef in Mexico. I also have a, a chef, a private chef of mine, uh, chef Boyardee. He's a, very <laughs> good, good yeah he is. makes great great horrible meals um <laughs> we had a great time with javier he's he's the man he came in and he speaks like kind of broken english and <laughs> he was like what can i what can i prepare for you and we're like nice. he's like treating it all professional and we're like dude like let's tell, tell us about yourself what do you do like tell us and he's like ah i like uh parkour and i like heavy metal <laughs> 
I'm like, dude, that's my guy right there. <laughs> nice, nice, man. That's, that's a good choice right there. Um, man, so you, you mentioned Martin Blackman, who I've had the fortune of having on the podcast as well, uh, episode 35. Yeah, just trying to name drop as much as I can here. But uh, yeah, and, and I'm curious, like, do you guys or you in particular ever go up to the uh, national facility and train? And I'm just wondering how that kind of works for like the USA players. Yeah, um, Martin's incredible he's such a such a great mind such a good guy i mean he'll come out to our practices and he'll treat you like you're you know john isner or sock or query or any of those guys. i mean he really cares about you and he really is interested in your feedback uh he's created an email chain between all the american players inside the top 600 700 and you know we nice. kind of all keep in touch and support each other which is great um, you know, I have the pleasure of living in LA, so I go to, uh, Carson, the West coast training center all the time. Um, you know, they're actually doing an off season program there last year that I was totally in last, or they're doing an off season program every off season, but now, and, uh, I did it last year and, you know, to get all of those great players in the same place, you know, we had Donald Young, Fritz, nice. uh, wow. Ernesto, Query, like all those guys are all in the same place, pushing each other. And we had coaches like, you know, David Nankin was there, Michael Russell, mm. Marty Fish would come out. And it's like, it's really cool to have, you know, those kind of mentorship players coaching you, but also there to help support you. Um, and, you know, I think they're doing a great job. You know, my only knock to them, I guess I'm always going positive, negative in this show. My only exactly. knock to that would be, you know, I feel that, you know, while it is such a great, you know, resource for everyone to have, if, if the player doesn't have a sense of well, really what they're trying to accomplish, then they kind of just get, you know, mushed in with everyone and they don't really get any sort of like, you know, individual, this is what it's going to take to get you to the next level kind of thing. Mm. Um, and that's, that's kind of goes back to the support system that I was talking about. It's like the USTA is a great resource. You know, they really can provide a lot of, you know, great opportunities for you, but you kind of need to come into the USTA with your own, this is what, I'm using, you know, all the great things that you're giving me for kind of, you know, attitude mm -hmm. because otherwise, I mean, you know, the workouts that they have for you are very, they're great, but they're very, they're very generic. You know, for me, you know, at six, six, I'm doing the same workouts that, you know, Marcos is doing at five ten or five eleven, whatever he is. So it's like, you know, you, I feel like you need to have a good, strong sense of what you really need for yourself in order to get the most out of what the USDA is offering. Um, and that's, you know, really they're doing now they're doing the absolute best they can. I mean, it's, it would be impossible for them to provide a specialized coach for every single, you know, player unless, you know, there was a drastic overhaul of how they're actually, uh, you know, going about, you know, their player development, but you know, they're doing a really, a really good job. It's just, I think a lot of players that, that do get involved with them don't understand that concept of, you know, you kind of need to have your own individual you know, sort of in a perfect world, you need to have your own individual team and then integrate that with the USTA. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's a great point. And I, I'm glad that the USTA is, you know, trying to improve and do their best. And Martin did speak about how, you know, it used to be that you had to be kind of fully integrated more or less into the USTA system in order to get help from them. But now, even if you're like primarily training outside, you can still like utilize their services and all that. So uh, that's really great to hear. Um, let's see, fan question, Mr. Miyagi, I believe, and these are all clearly fake names. <laughs> uh, 
Um, for, oh, really? For, for, yeah. I, was really yeah. I was really hoping that Mr. Miyagi had a question for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's our most famous fan ever. Um, now, he, he was um, wondering how difficult it is uh, for you to, to travel to different places. I mean, is that like, do you enjoy traveling or is that kind of like really tough after a while? Or how do you feel about traveling? I enjoy it a lot. Um, you know, again, it's something that you have to be smart about and you can't overburden yourself with travel. I mean, if you're, I mean, you can't be dumb about it. If you're a flying coach, you can't fly from China to Europe and then back to Australia and then to China. Like you can't, like you're, you'll kill yourself. But you know, if you do it in a way that makes sense, you know, with, you know, you plan your plan your schedule with, you know, spending three weeks maybe in the same country and then, you know, take, you know, two weeks off and then spend another three weeks in the same country. You know, that kind of thing, you know, it, it makes sense. And, you know, it's really fun because you give yourself the opportunity to really immerse in the culture. And, uh, you know, I love that. Like, I, I really value that experience. It's kind of like being, you know, it's like being on tour. It is on tour. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the ATP tour. So it's like it's you're you're on a world tour and, you know to get, you know, the full experience out of it, I think is really important. Um, you know, when you go to all these, you know, foreign markets and, you know, you're able to kind of understand, you know, more about their culture, more about how they, you know, live, how they do business, how they do everything, you know, that's, it's all great, you know, life experience for you. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I absolutely loved my time that I was traveling full time and I hope to continue that in 2017. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, another kind of funny interjection here is like, so when I, I posted that you were uh, going to be on the podcast, I mean, obviously a lot of people are excited, uh, particularly to the Reddit forums, but uh, funny enough, a couple of people like, you know, there's always trolls and stuff. They were like basically asking basketball questions because of obviously Clay Thompson from Golden State. Uh, so I was just wondering, like, if you're, are you a fan of um, Golden State or do you follow them at all or anything like that? Well, that's actually, you know, what I was saying earlier when I have different business ventures. I spend, you know, half of my time playing, you know, basketball for the Warriors. So, <laughs> um, you know, and obviously I have a pretty lucrative contract with them. So, you know, that allows yes. me to be able to, uh, you know, play tennis, though, you know, with with the luxury that I enjoy. But, uh, you know, not 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 everyone can have, you know, be a be a basketball star at the same time. Okay. So, so, you know, I, under, I understand. I understand that trouble. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I love that. Um, so, as question from John, a little more serious one. Um, obviously, you know you have a great uh, serve and professional tennis player. I mean, that, that's really the most important uh, stroke, I guess, at least in my opinion. But what do you? What would you say is the key to having a uh, power, a powerful and consistent serve? Um, I think the key is realizing that it's a kinetic chain and uh, keeping that momentum in motion basically the whole time. Uh, you know, if you're either going to, you know, wind up all your energy and then pause for a second and then explode, that's great. Or you just keep one continuous motion. You know, either way, there's different players that have, that's worked for each. Um, but it's it's definitely realizing the fact that as soon as you start your motion you're gathering power at your feet and then by the end of the motion you want that all of that power to be to be transferred to the upper to your upper body and eventually to your racket and i think a lot of serves that i see you know a lot of club players or whatever you know f- struggle with is because they start that power in their feet and then by the time it gets up to their hands they've lost about 80% of it 
Um, so it's really, it's really understanding the fact that you're basically transferring power from, you know, your body to the racket and you need to do that in the most efficient way without, with losing as, as little as possible. I love that. Thank you, you know, for that great answer. Um, we uh, had Mark, Dr. Mark Kovacs on the podcast, and he actually wrote a really cool uh, scientific article. I think it's called the eight-stage model for the serve, but it basically talks in depth about the kinetic chain uh, and how, you know, you gather momentum and, and use the entire body to produce the most uh, force possible and you know i when i took a serving lesson with a former coach of lena around uh, maryland he he emphasized you know one thing that he changed in my serve was just to realize that i need to be continuously more or less be um you know moving uh you know, through the stroke instead of um pausing and then kind of losing all the energy and stuff you know pausing too long um so that's fantastic um, moving forward, Clay, and I uh, just want to thank you, you know, for the unbelievable amount of time that you've, uh, you know, uh, scheduled for this uh, podcast. Moving forward, what is your, you know, your long-term goal in the sport? Um, my long-term goal in the sport is to be, you know, a player that fans either love interacting with or love watching play and to really give back to the future generations of American tennis. Um, you know, a selfish goal that I want for myself is I want to, you know, I want to be a player that's recognizable and a player that draws fans to come watch and play. So, you know, some players have the dream of being number one in the world. I have the dream, you know, obviously I really would love to win a grand slam. That would be, you know, a great that's you know a great dream that i've always had but at the same time i get more pleasure out of fans coming up to me and saying man thanks for that like i spent you know three hours of my sunday to come out here and watch you play and i spent 10 20 whatever it is hopefully it's more you know as my career goes on but you know to 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 really get that feeling of you know you provided an entertainment value for someone to come out and take time out of their day and their life to come watch you play and them feel that that every second every penny that they spent was worth it um for me that's you know that's 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 the that's the best feeling that i get as a tennis player and so you know a selfish goal that i, I have for myself is i want to be you know a recognizable tennis player that gets you know fan audience uh attendance you know up and it gets it gets fans excited about the sport and it gets people that want to come out and watch me play and you know have a great time doing that whether you know they're drinking beers and making noise or they're sitting there you know just just really entranced in the game that i'm playing you know either one like you know i'm i'm totally cool with with that i just i just want play i just want fans to come out and watch me play and you know love it um more of a you know i guess admirable goal is i want to you know, I, like I was saying earlier, I want to create kind of a, a template, you know, as a player for how other players can go through their tennis lifestyle and live, you know, get a great high school education, play tennis, you know, be a nationally ranked player, go to college, play D1, you know, compete for an NCAA title while also getting a great education. And then after, you know, school, go on to either be, you know, a professional or go on to some other path in life, but always know that, you know, the skills that they learned from tennis and the time that they spent playing the sport is going to serve them purposefully. Well, that's wonderful, Clay. And I mean, really, the you know, the type of player that you are in person is what we need the most in the sport. I mean, it's really, 
you know, it's a, just such an incredible sport. It's afforded it. It's afforded both uh, you and me just wonderful opportunities and enjoyment of life. And I think that more people need to, you know, would be would ha- have more enjoyable lives if they were, you know, first exposed to the sport and then second properly trained in how they can excel in the sport and then use it to uh, further their lives as a whole. And so, um, you know, you, you touched on that and, and, and marketing as well. I mean, that's one thing that I think the game really needs to uh, do more with. And I'm probably going to write some sort of like rage article soon. But, it's you know, it's just when you look at most of the tennis sites out there, I mean, I'm not saying that mine is some sort of amazingly designed site. But, it, you know, it's just you just want to click back because it's not really very visually appealing. And, and it, you know, if we had more sites that were more modern and better looking and and if the game as a whole was marketed better because that's the key to getting it out to more people then the game would flourish um you know uh more um so anyway i I totally agree and i mean it's it's you know it's an effort both on the players and the tournaments and everything i mean i remember at the the beginning of this year i played a futures in la at usc and you know i was in the semifinals against philip bester so it was like 400 going 400 in the world going at 300 in the world and you know i asked the tournament i was like look let's get let's get like an evening match at least so people can wake up and come out like i I, i'll get like you know 100 at least 100 people out here i'll call my friends you know i'll get everyone that loves tennis in la out here and you know, I really want to do this. And you know, they ended up putting me at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And I'm like, how Jesus. how am I supposed to get anyone anyone to come out at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning? Like maybe you know, older older folks will come out and watch <laughs> it. But like, I mean, no one no one wants to do anything at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. it's 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 not you know, it's not good for the average you know the average consumer of you know of of an audience. I mean. I guess you know you have college college football games at you know 10 a.m. and or even earlier maybe or something on game day, but like that's that's more of an established market that you can mm-hmm. do something with that with you know the way the tennis is is like we kind of have to play you know our cards right to to attract every single fan that we can because we need them you know that match ended up having like 10 or 15 people at it and it's like you know we need everyone everyone to come together and say you know if you're a tennis fan you got to help this movement of you know of loving tennis of creating a community that wants to watch tennis and wants to support it and you know just kind of come together to create you know an american tennis community that really get that really you know gets the sport going again exactly i mean you you could see like a some sort of like street ball game uh with with amateur you know basketball players that get more crowds than like uh you know, people who are like top 300 in the world playing a, a final match. So that, that's got to change. Uh, and that, that's, that's with marketing and, and promoting. And most, of the, and most of the people that I know, like, you know, especially in college, you know, I would meet a lot of players or a lot of people, you know, in my college experience that are like, oh, I've never watched a tennis match before. What's it like? Oh, well, come watch it. They come. They're like, whoa. Like the amount of effort that these guys are putting in, like it's unbelievable. Like you know, the fight, like it's so cool. And then you know, they become a tennis fan. But it was more that initial sell of getting them out to the tennis match, and you know, that marketing that you know needed to that made their you know eventual fan fanmanship, whatever fandomship, uh, you know, possible. So you know, it's it's really you know, it's it's marketing it in the right way. It's presenting it in the right way. It's making it hip. It's making it cool because the sport itself, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't support any of these changes that are like, we need to make it shorter. We need to make mm-hmm. no ad. That's not the issue. 
The issue isn't that people are going to tennis matches, being bored, and then leaving. The issue is getting people to the matches in general. Yeah, yeah, it's a little more effort. It'll go a long way in the sport. Um, you know, just a couple more questions for you, Clay. Um, you know, you, you're very intelligent, uh, you know, from what I've heard and in speaking with you today. Uh, so I'm wondering, um, you know, what are your three of your favorite tennis books that you may have read? Um, I really enjoy um, the memoirs uh, that a lot of players have written. Agassiz was great. Um, there's a couple other ones that are really great, um, you know, because that really gives an insight into, you know, what the player is going through and how tough it is to, you know, make it, um, you know, even Boletari's book was pretty great because he, you know, kind of sees it from a coach perspective and he goes, you know, how do, you know, how do these players do it and how do I do it as a coach that you know gives so much of my time to these people and you know you can see you know especially you know in Agassi's case like all the personal sacrifices that came with becoming an elite tennis player and you know that's it's it's really cool and it's you know kind of romantic to see you know those those sacrifices go on and those kind of you know you know the ups and downs of a career um, and you know, that's, you know, I think what, you know, reading some reading something like that and seeing, you know, a player that goes through such dark times, I think is, you know, motivating for future generations of players to read and be like, Oh, you know, I'm in this bad space right now, but you know, it could get better, you know, it, with effort, you know, with work, with the right attitude, you know, it will get better. Um, so I think, you know, those memoirs are really important for, uh, for anyone that's aspiring to be a tennis player. And then um, I actually was a part of, uh, I was telling you earlier, uh, that Bill Scanlon was a major mentor of mine, and him and uh, Dr. Joe Parent uh, teamed up to write a book. Dr. Joe is a famous sports psychologist, mainly in golf, worked with Vijay Singh and among other names. Um, and he's kind of a, you know, a, a Zen person. It's, he's a Zen master kind of guy. And uh, so they teamed up to write the uh, Zen in the game of tennis or Zen tennis, I think they called it. Uh Um, And uh, it's, that's really, really valuable uh, notes for, um, you know, for their kind of goal was to find the zone, you know, how, because Bill attributes all of his success because he, in in his own words, wasn't the most naturally gifted player, but he really found a way to, you know, lock in when he was playing and that, you know, propelled him to be, you know, win over Mac and wins over McEnroe, you know, top 10 in the world, you know, obviously learned a great living. Um, so, you know, what he was able to do just by getting his mind in the right, the right place, uh, you know, it made his career. So, you know, that book was really interesting. Um, and you know, I kind of was working with Bill during the same time I was doing all my meditation and yoga stuff. Uh, and we, you know, would just do mental exercise after mental exercise after mental exercise. And he was like, man, when I would train with Lendl, this is all we would do. We would go play tennis for, you know, four hours and then, you know, we'd ride our bike around and then we'd just sit and have dinner and talk and we would, you know, fire back these mental exercises back and forth at each other. Um, so, you know, that's a really great book. And then obviously, you know, inner game of tennis, mm-hmm. um, it's a great one. And, uh, there's a couple others too that I'm kind of blanking on, but yeah, I mean, those are all great works. Awesome. Yeah. I love those books. They're fantastic. Um, inner game of tennis is really, really classic and timeless. Uh, winning, winning, winning ugly by Brad Gilbert. Yep, <laughs> My dad made me read that when I was like 11 years old. 
There you go. That's where you get the strategy, uh, you know, from, well, you know, develop uh, thinking how to do that. Um, great book. Yeah. Um, so, Clay, where can we follow you online? Um, my Most of my fan inter- fan interaction comes on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Clarence A. Tomp. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's where I kind of do, you know, that's where you can really get you know, a slice of me because I don't, you know, do any management controlled stuff on that. I just, I just talk straight from me and, you know, say what I want to say and I'll respond to fans on that. Um, so, you know, if you really want to get a, uh, you know, a slice of clay, that's where you follow, that's where you can follow me. Um, I'll probably be launching my Instagram and Facebook page, uh, next year. But unfortunately those will probably be more management controlled because I'm not huge on taking pictures and doing that whole, Hey, this is me. This is through my professional life kind of thing. Um, so I'll probably have those fired up. That will be more of like a, you know, you can see what I'm doing and see how I'm going about things, but I definitely want to keep my Twitter to being a, uh, you know, a direct, direct, uh, line straight to me. Yeah, uh, excellent. We'll link uh, your, your Twitter uh, page on here. I'm looking at it. it looks uh, looks good. A lot of entertaining yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so I always love to close by asking our uh, guests this question. Uh, and you've given us a lot of fantastic advice today. But what's one piece of advice that you can give our audience, which is mainly uh, amateur players, on how they can improve their tennis game? Um, I would say the main, I guess this is more for, you know, juniors and, you know, I guess people that want to, you know, have that tennis lifestyle that I was speaking about earlier. But I mean, the main thing is, you know, structuring your, your tennis workouts, your days, your gym workouts, everything like that in a way that keeps you happy and motivated to play. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get into the mindset of, oh, I have to get better. I have to do this. I have to do that. And that's when you start seeing a lot of them go into dark places because it becomes, you know, a have to rather than a, I love this sport and I want to. Um, and you know, that's, that's, you know, a big difference And that's, you know, that's kind of where I was for a little bit on the court and, you know, in that have to place, that's where I, that's where I was going into that all American tournament. And then when I switched to, because I want to, that's when I made that, you know, incredible run. And that's what, you know, eventually propelled my career. Um, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. It's a really tough thing to do actually, but you know, it's better for you to not do that two hour practice that you're dreading. You know, in my opinion, it's better to not do that two hour practice that you're dreading and just rest and, you know, get your mind right. And then go back the next day when you're really fired up and motivated to go on the court. You know, I, I would rather spend, you know, I would rather spend an hour on the court a day just really, you know, focusing on what I want to focus on with a smile on my face and a hundred percent of my energy, you know, dedicated to it rather than spend three hours throwing my racket, you know, bitching it, sorry, complaining to my coach, like, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, those, that, that kind of time is just time that's not well spent. And, uh, you know, it's, it's with anything in life, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta have your mind right and you gotta be, you know, motivated to go into it. Exactly. That's uh, just wonderful advice uh, to close off the interview and just, it's better to just, have, you know, be at a hundred percent or, you know, at, at a good, good capacity to um, put your forth your full effort. And then, because if you, if you aren't, then oftentimes you'll just have basically wasted your time. Um, yep. 
Clay, uh, I just uh, want to thank you for you know an incredible interview. It was a, a lot of fun speaking with you, and you dropped a ton of um, you know gold nuggets on us um, about you know how we can improve our games and also how we can improve the game of tennis as a whole. And uh, you know, really appreciate your passion for the sport and you know everything you're doing for it. And um, we would just wish you all the best in your. Uh, tennis and uh, business endeavors and uh, hope you just continue to enjoy the game and uh, everything you're doing and and thanks again for coming on the show yeah man right back at you you know this is really cool what you're doing and you know again you have a full-time job and this is kind of just a side thing that you do and that's you know that's really admirable you know and you know we need all the people that you know kind of have the same outlook as you you know on the game and you know aren't involved in it necessarily professionally, but maybe want to be, or just, you know, as a fan, uh, we need all those people to come together because, you know, there, there is a future for tennis, but it's going to take a lot of people to get behind it and to make it really, to really flourish in, in the coming years. For sure. Agreed, Clay. Well, uh, you know, thanks again. Appreciate it. And looking forward to talking to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. You too. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Clay Thompson, uh, probably one of the most insightful and interesting tennis pros that I've talked to so far on the show. I really appreciate Clay uh, talking to me on episode 42. And I'd really appreciate it if you guys would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast so that way you can get um, the podcast downloaded onto you know the app of your choice as soon as I hit the publish button. It's always a good thing. And um, I just want to leave you guys with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of each show. And today's quote is by Vincent Van Gogh, who said, Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Love that quote. All right, guys, I appreciate you listening to this episode. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.